episode was brought to you by our supporters on Patreon. Dave, Greg Bench, Ryan, Dan, Ian Urza, Kevin, James, Ashley, Greg Morrison, Earl, Raul, Joel, Greg Russell, Brian, Stefan, Amy, Ian West, and Trey. Stick around for an extended shout-out at the end. Now on to the episode. Welcome to another episode of Father and Son Watch Horror Movies. I am your co-host, The Father, a.k.a. Pastor Matt, and I'm joined, as always, by my trusty sidekick, Jackson the Son, and I'm starting to think that this theme of messed up family flicks we're covering with people under the stairs and now this could have better been labeled, No One Leaves the Suburbs Alive, or alternatively, Never Trust Weird White People. Yeah, that last one's still true. But anyway, we are a spoiler podcast. We do spoil the movies we discuss. And today we are going back to 1989 for the horror comedy, The Burbs. All Tom Hanks wanted was a quiet vacation at home. This is what I need, Carol. I I need this. Welcome to Mayfield Place. A typical street in The Burbs. Morning, Walter! where nothing much ever happened. Walter's dog just took a dump on Rumsfeld's lawn again. Until the Klopex moved in. Klopex? Klopex. Klopex. No one goes in, no one comes out. Neighbors from hell. It was a nice place to live. He said he thinks the Klopex are evil incarnate. Well, you're much too smart to fall for that, aren't you, honey? But now... Carol! You wouldn't want to visit there. Ray, this is Walter. No! The Burbs. I'm going over the fence, and I'm not coming back till I find a dead body. Ray, do you want him to take your family, kidnap them, tear their livers out, and make some kind of satanic pate? We found Walter! We got a real problem. I hit the gaslight, I'd run! God, I love this street. Tom Hanks. I think we are overreacting. No. The Burbs. It's one hell of a neighborhood. Hey, honey. I think we should move. To do this right, we've called in a couple of super fans of this movie, and I'm sure everyone knows the Wolfman, and he may want to introduce his sidekick for this father and son and father and son watch horror movies. Wolfman, who you got with you? I'm here with my little wolf buddy, and uh, he's been a guest on Movie Streamcast several times, his little buddy, and then whenever we've covered horror together as a wolf buddy, so I appreciate him here with me. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Well, welcome, wolf buddy. Glad to have you. Um, The Burb. So the IMDb synopsis reads... An overstressed suburbanite and his neighbors are convinced that the new family on the block are part of a murderous satanic cult. Eh, you know, for IMDb, that's not, uh, you know, that's not too terrible. But uh, so, all right, Wolfman, when did you first see the Burbs? I don't know about the very first time, but this was absolutely one of my favorite films growing up now i was you know i wasn't that young in 89 still but it was just this was one of those in rotation it's this is kind of my favorite it's funny now because if you ask me do you like horror comedy that's not high on my list of things i would search out but if you go back to like my comfort food it's Mm -hmm. all stuff from this era you know it's like tremors and the burbs and clue and you know the Lost Boys and Monster Squad, these films that I grew up on, and they all have this kind of fun, 
something magical happening in an all-american neighborhood and usually oftentimes kids are the protagonists and man, i just i grew up with this movie and loved it ever since what about you wolf buddy when did uh, the wolfman introduce you to the burbs um i mean he's always like it's always been one of his favorite movies so i don't remember like the first time that i watched it we wa- we um during October and like Halloween season, we would try yeah. to like scary movie every day. So we would revisit the burbs a lot. Oh, you have a fine, fine, fine parent there. Um, <laughs> Jackson, what about you? When did you first see the burbs? And I think I know this answer. Yeah, the first time I watched The Burbs was with you as well. Um, yeah, you were down in Lynchburg, and uh, that was the same night that we watched Demon Wind for the first time together. <laughs> oh my gosh, Demon Wind, what a ride. Um, yeah, we that watched... was with, To be fair, that was with Joe Bob. That wasn't yeah, like we just, didn't just wa- We didn't watch Demon Wind Raw, because that, that's what I call that. Uh, <laughs> just going in without commentary or Joe Bob, that would have... We'd be like, are we on psychedelics right now? What's going on with this? Um, oh, no. But... Uh, <laughs> That's you I, I did a commentary of, of that movie and I don't even remember what I said but I should probably delete that it's, it's just traumatic um, but but yeah so the burbs was a, was a bright spot on that night watching the burbs um, and uh, I loved it I, I absolutely I also love this kind of like late 80s early 90s look to movies um, I think it, it, it's a great era for comedies especially but um, and for Tom Hanks I guess um, so yeah, I, I love this movie. This is only my second rewatch. This is my second time watching it. So it's been a while. It felt really fresh for me. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. I saw this on opening weekend. Uh, it would have been February 89. I had been in Los Angeles for less than a year at that point. I moved to LA in May of 88. Um, I was hyped because I had been on set when I first moved to, LA and I can't remember I feel so guilty I can't remember who got me on set I think it was either Lonnie or Joel Sill who were friends with my brother Brian and they were kind of bigwig music supervisors all over town at the time but when I saw the movie in theater and I saw it because it was shot Universal City and I saw it at the Universal City theaters I thought at first it's okay um but we'll see if my opinion has gone up on on rewatches since then because i have seen it several times um so the plot the screenplay tom hanks character ray peterson is taking a staycation with his wife uh carol played by the late great carrie fisher and his son but uh, his neighbors are concerned about their uh new occupants in the burbs the clopex which are played by henry gibson and brother theodore who i knew from letterman and courtney Gaines. And we will talk about the cast in a minute, but the screenplay written by Dana Olson, who also penned Inspector Gadget and George of the Jungle, um, the screenplay, you know, this was right, you know, they were filming during a writer's strike. And so Dana Olson was on set, but he couldn't really under union rules do anything other than just kind of be there. what do we think of the story? What do we think of the plot? What do we think of the screenplay? Wolfman, you first. I mean, I absolutely love the screenplay, but I do wonder if, due to what you just said, and I feel like I've heard this, that there was a lot of ad-libbing going on with Tom mm-hmm. Hanks, Hickman, Bruce Stern, And so, I, you know, I actually, we listened to part of the commentary with Dan Olson today, and he didn't 
seem like he knew a lot about uh, the production for having been there the whole time, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't want to take anything away from him. I think it's a fantastic setup, but I think having um, that cast who was so comedically skilled and Joe Dante, who I think is kind of a virtuoso of of a certain type. Yes. Um, add a lot to it, but yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I, yeah, I love the plot. It's very rear window and you were saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, in the commentary, it said that they were, so it was going to be named Bay window mm. rear window. Cause yeah. 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 So I, th- yeah, I don't know. I think it's a, it's a fun concept. We've seen a lot of rear window reimagined. I, I think my favorite thing about. Um, the way that he did it is he took like what would make sense in the world of like Goonies or Lost Boys where you have these kids who are kind of seeing something normal and taking it as suspicious, but here it's adults. And so I, I love the childlike nature of the adults in this movie. And I think that it comes across very well, whether that's the screenplay or or the actors who made that decision or, or the director. I don't know, but I, how, however that came to be, and I'll give Dana Olson credit, I think that's it's fantastic. It's a great choice. Yeah, fair enough. Jackson, what about you? What'd you think? I, I'm I'm the same way. I, I love the script, but um and I think it's a lot like Ghostbusters and that it's that, you know, like a great plot, great setup, great idea. And the ad living is fantastic from all these comedic actors. The ad living is fantastic. And that's um Wolfman said that it's like these these uh characters are like children. It's like Fright Night, right? Like these would be teens, but right. they're adults. And they're all acting like kids. And I love that so much. The childlike wonder. It is very Lost Boys, very Fright Night. And that's that's the main thing that I thought about this this time around. Uh, was like it's 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 very I d I don't know. It's 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 I don't know where I'm going with this. Uh, I've lost my train of thought. I, that happened to me sometimes. <laughs> that's, that <laughs> I got too excited. I I, I it gets it gets out. worse as you get older, buddy. Um, yeah. they, um <laughs> I, I no, I love it. I, I was listening to Joe Dante talk in an interview and he said, look, he said, what struck me, he was not as high on the screenplay per se. He loved the characters. He loved the vignettes. And he also saw it as kind of cartoonish. But of course, he's a huge Looney Tunes fan. So he was attracted to it and he saw the potential for it. And he grew up in the suburbs. His dad was a golf pro and they kind of moved all around New Jersey and New York and and they were always in the suburbs and he said you know there's always that one house right there's always that one house in the neighborhood that has a story that you know all that kind of stuff that people say you don't want to go there you don't want to you don't want to knock on the door on trick-or-treat and all that kind of stuff and that's what attracted him to it and no I I think it works and I think that you know, in the hands of a lesser director, and we'll talk about Joe Dante in a minute, I think it had been too goofy, but I think because Joe Dante is such a good director that it's a much tighter film. And I don't know, Wolfman, you're a director, you know, you've been working this while. Um, what do you think of Mr. Dante's work? I, I think he's one of the great directors of the, of the specific style that he does. I think, unfortunately, I haven't loved his last couple of movies that he's made. Um, they were, you know, they were a little disappointing, mm-hmm. for, but I think this was right in the pocket for Joe Dante. Like this is when he was doing his best work right in this era. I think, you know, we've got gremlins and the burbs and matinee and, uh, 
inner space space is so fantastic and yeah i just there i i do think he goes full looney tunes at one point um <laughs> sardine scene yeah. that was a little bit much for me i liked it as a kid <laughs> but now, as an adult i'm like eh, he didn't need the elephant trunk sound boy you know. <laughs> <laughs> well he did say in an interview i saw they say i asked him why sardines he said because it's the most disgusting food ever he <laughs> hates sardines with a passion and so that's where that's where that came in. So, Wolf Buddy, I don't know how much time you've spent, you know, with your dad and maybe on sets or anything, but um, you know, how much experience have you had with this? Do you do you you, you obviously like the movie? Um, I don't know, Wolfman. You may want to answer. This. Have you and Wolf Buddy? How many Joe Dante movies have you watched together? Um, you've seen Gremlins. Yeah. You haven't seen Interspace yet, which is a major failing on my part because he would love Interspace. Yeah. Um, I think probably just this and Gremlins, but we've seen the we see both of those every year. So he did mention sometimes twice a year, Christmas and Halloween for yeah. Gremlins. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I showed Gremlins. My wife had never seen Gremlins. I showed it to her a couple of Christmases ago. And I'm sitting there, and I'm just smiling from ear to ear. I saw it in the theater. I'm loving it. And I turn it off. I said, what do you think? She looks at me and said, that was dark. <laughs> <laughs> but, but Wolf Buddy, do you, like, you love Gremlins, too? Yeah. I. So Corey Feldman is like... <laughs> And, like, he's, like, in my opinion, in, like, just, like, all of the best movies. Um, <laughs> oh, there you go. He's in, like, Gremlins, Lost Boys, um, Goonies, this, yeah. Yeah, you yeah, mentioned that today when we were watching it. He said, oh, he's in every good movie. I'm like, yes. <laughs> in the 80s, he had quite the run. That That is for sure. Um, there's no no doubting that. Um Jackson, what about you? What do you think of Mr. Dante's work? I, I love Joe Dante. Yeah, I, he's he's a fantastic director. Um, and yeah, out of that Corman school of filmmaking, right? He's mm -hmm. he's out of that that troop, uh, and that that's always fun. Um, yeah, I I love I love Grim Ones. That's that's that's, and I remember the first time we watched that together, Dad. That was that was a lot of fun. Um, and I think we I think we were watching it not on Christmas, but in like mid November when I first saw it. So yeah. that would be about this time of year. Which you know, Grim Ones is perfect anytime. You know, it's it's one of those movies that really you can just put on anytime and it's it's timely. Um, but I love Inner Space. I love the Howling. Um, I haven't seen Small Soldiers. Um, I haven't. I, there's a lot a lot of the movies I haven't seen. Not not as hot on that one. No, I'm not as hot on that one. I, I like, I don't blame him for Explorers. And I know, Jackson, you liked Explorers. Oh, I, but I, yeah, that's that's nostalgia for me. That's that's definitely C&D. Yeah, the studio yanked that away from him for some reason and recut it. And it, it, that that movie's a bit of a mess, but that's not Joe Dante's fault. Yeah. Um, but no, I love Piranha. I love The Howling. I love his segment in Twilight Zone, the movie. Love mm. Gremlins, Inner Space. You know, love matinee. I have grown to love Gremlins too. I didn't like it at first. I thought it was a little over the top. Um, I didn't grow to love it till I saw the Key and Peel sketch <laughs> on, on the pitch, which Joe Dante has got on record saying, not that far from the truth, actually. <laughs> so, I don't, I don't know. Wolfman, do you like Gremlins too? Yeah, it was one of those, you know, I was getting, I was just the right age, so it came out, and there were a few of movies right around that time, it was Ghostbusters 2, and Gremlins 2, and like all of these movies that I had loved when I was 
little and then I was just the right age for those to come out in theaters and get to see them with my friends. And so I remember I had the Gremlins 2 novelization. I'd read that all the time. Oh, wow. OK, I um, yeah, I still I, I've said this many times, but listeners know I'm a Jordan Peele fanboy. Um, go and look for the Key and Peele sketch on Gremlins 2. It is one of the greatest comedy skits of all time, in my opinion. Um, so, yeah, he, Joe Dante, you know, he takes this. He he likes that it's set in the burbs. He goes. He shoots it in chronological order, um, it, you know, in sequence, which, Wolfman, you know, that doesn't happen often. Well, and I think that was so that the, I think the reasoning that I heard was the, so that they could improvise and then uh, that would allow them to not mess anything up by improvising as much as they wanted to. They could kind of. Right. Think. And they're and they're in one location. Right. Right. Yeah. So because they're on the universal back lot. So uh, that, that, that. Yeah, that makes, you know, a lot of a lot of sense. So, well, you know, that, we have. Go ahead. When you got when you went to set, because when you said that. Had my microphone not been on mute, my you would have heard my brain exploding into thousands of pieces. <laughs> what uh, are you going to tell us the the behind the scenes scoop? Oh, on yeah, it was um, it was a pretty you know looking back at that time it was the first set I'd been on, so you know I would I would be on other sets you know thanks to friends um, I would be on uh, I was on the set of many TV shows but I was also on the set of Back to the Future Three. <laughs> Um, with Robert Zemeckis, and compared to Back to the Future Three, Joe Dante was a was very different in style. Joe Dante is a very laid back guy. You know, he's not he's not a very tall person. Um, you know, but he's very chill. I remember distinctly he was walking around set in a brown fedora and sunglasses. Which I thought was a little strange for 1988. I wasn't seeing a lot of people walking around in fedoras at that time. Um, you know, the only person I ever saw with a hat, uh, you know, was Slash. Um, and so that was a little strange. But he was, it struck me looking back. I didn't know any better at the time. Joe Dante is just so calm on set. He never raises his voice. He never, he's just, you know... <laughs> He's just, you know, just acts like everything's fine, everything, nothing to see here, you know, all that kind of stuff. And he just looks like he's having a great time. Now, when we go through the cast, when I was there, like I said, they were shooting in sequence. Uh, the day I was there, like one of the shots I got to see was the scene with the garbage men where they're going through the garbage with Dick Miller and Robert Picardo. Uh, they were shooting that scene the day I was I was there. And. Unfortunately, Corey Feldman was not on his best behavior <laughs> uh, to the point where Dick Miller kind of dressed him down and told him to knock it off. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, it, that was wild. And I, when we when we get to Bruce Dern, I'll talk more about that. But, yeah, it was it was neat. I mean, you'd see Tom Hanks kind of just walking around, sometimes being on a skateboard, sometimes just. You know, um, just kind of being off on his own. I, I I learned later that he had created like this entire backstory for his character. Um, in Tom Hanks's mind, when he was shooting this, I didn't learn this on set, and I didn't I didn't talk to Tom Hanks. But you know how this is, Wolfman. If you're a visitor on set, you typically spend time with the PAs, right? Right, right. And so that's where I was most of the time. Is back with the PAs. They're waiting to be called to go do this or that. And um, 
But, you know, Tom was kind of over there, but he was always looked like he was in deep thought. And it turns out that he was like he was really into his character. And he had come up with this idea that he wasn't taking a staycation. He'd been fired. And he didn't have the guts to tell his wife. Yeah, that's great. And so that's what he was kind of doing. But and speaking of the cast, and I'll just kind of run this down as I did get a chance to talk to Bruce Dern for just a few minutes. Oh, what? Uh, yeah, I got a chance to talk to Bruce Dern for just a few. He walked over to one of the PAs and he asked for um, some more water in his trailer. And and so while he was waiting for the PA to go get more water, I got to talk to him for just like five minutes and I'll, I'll tell you about that conversation in, in a second he was very nice everyone was very nice with the exception of one well two but i'll get to those in a minute um so the cast we have tom hanks you know who began his film career in horror movies right he did he knows you're alone from 1980 and the twist in that is of course he filmed that movie and they cut the scene where he was killed in that movie because everybody's like that guy's too nice you can't kill that guy um <laughs> And in the original script for the Burbs, he's supposed to die. And the studio's like, you can't kill Tom Hanks. <laughs> you, can't, you can't do that. He says, you can't kill Tom Hanks. Um, he didn't want to take this role at first because he didn't want to play a dad. He was, you know, trying to get, you know, rom-coms and all that kind of stuff going. Yeah. And he thought it'd be bad for him. And, you know, but I, I absolutely love Tom Hanks in this role and this may be a redundant question but wolfman wolf buddy what do you think of tom hanks um i my mom likes 80s and 90s rom-coms and stuff mm -hmm. so i just recently have watched um what is it you got mail yep and, yeah and um sleepless in seattle yeah mm -hmm. yeah those yeah, two were um, huge yep and then obviously like Toy Story and stuff too. Um, of course. Yeah, I like Tom Hanks a lot. Yeah, for me, this is like this is probably one of my very favorite performances of his, which is crazy to say. And yeah. you know, his Oscar Bet winning. better than Philadelphia or yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, but I, and he's he's a great dramatic actor. But honestly, I think in comedy he does what nobody else can do kind of like he's so original and the way he moves and 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 talks you know uh, the man with one red shoe is the first movie i remember seeing of his mm. when i was a kid and then splash was a big movie for me as a kid and so you know when i hear the you know the tales they talk about this film is that big had been shot but not yet released when they were filming this and and then, you know, and then Big came out and he became like a megastar overnight in the midst of this production. And, and that always surprises me because in my mind, he was already just a massive star by the time this came out. And I don't know if that was just my perception of him, but he, I don't know. He was no, a big I, because Splash was a, <laughs> Yeah. Well, well, Splash was a huge hit. Yeah. Um, That's what I thought. I thought Splash was a major movie. Yeah, it was. Splash was a huge hit. But then he had a couple bombs after that. Right. Okay. So the man with one red shoe, which I have nostalgia for, wasn't a hit, you know, and the critics, also in that movie. Yeah. The critics just lambasted the money pit and that kind of stuff. And so I loved that one as a kid, too, but I haven't revisited those. Yeah. He just he, he he had a rough patch there for a few years. So he was, you know, a big kind of brought him back to like a list status. And so. Yeah. 
And then he followed that up with Punchline. In my opinion, that cost him the Oscar because he had two, you know how that works with the Oscars. You have two um, award-winning caliber films. Well, you're going to cancel each other out, you know, and that's what happened to him. But um, Jackson, what about you? What do you think of Tom Hanks as, as Ray Peterson? I think he does a great job in this movie. And I'm, I'm, you know, honestly, I'm on the same front as Wolfman is. I love Tom Hanks. But honestly, I think I like him better as a comedic actor. Like, you know, we were talking about Big. And Big is one that it's like, like that's a good movie. But I think a lot of it is C&D, why I like it so much. Um, but uh, in this movie, oh. too, I don't know. I, I, I've, I remember recently I talked to a friend who had watched it for the first time on Disney+. Plus, and they really were like, it was so 80s. It was so cheesy. You know, it was and it was so creepy. What is wrong TV, wasn't with it? that? How the adult woman was in love with the child, and I was like, "Well, she didn't know he was a child, but hey. whatever, you know." Yeah. Um, but so I, 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 I do love Big, and I love Big, and I love Toy Story. I mean, of course, I love like the Terminal and Saving Private Ryan and Captain Phillips, you know, whatever. But I, I think as a comedy actor, exactly, Wolfman nailed it on the head. He has something that not a lot of a lot of other people can do. He's just he's manic, but he's always likable, no matter what. I mean the. He goes to some crazy depths of depravity in this movie, you know, like like insane mania. But he's still likable, and we still believe him somehow. So it's you know, I think I think he's fantastic in this, and I, I love Ray as a character. Um, but I think that uh, he would have died, like, like even if he was Tom Hanks, he would have died really quick if it weren't for Carol. I think she really has to balance him out. <laughs> Which brings us to Carrie Fisher. This is an understated role for her, but uh, God rest her soul. I love her. Um, I, I've always loved Carrie Fisher. I've never understood why she didn't get more work. I mean, yeah, she had some major roles and, you know, Star Wars and when Harry met Sally and, you know, the Blues Brothers and all that kind of stuff. But I just always thought she was just such a talented actress. I know she had personal problems, but I, I absolutely think she's perfect in this role. What do you think, Wolfman? Absolutely. Yeah, she's fantastic. I wish she was in it more. Honestly, that's the only... Yeah downside to this but i think she's pro uh, my favorite part of the movie is probably a carrie fisher moment where they're they're trying to get him to come down from the garage <laughs> she shows up and she, you know she, she can't come down until he resembles the man that i that i married <laughs> oh, that kind of time <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and they start kicking and everything yeah, yeah. oh yeah so uh, and now, Wolf Buddy has 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 your father shown you Star Wars yet? Have you have you been into that yet? Yes, I yeah, I'm a pretty big fan of Star Wars. We yeah, we've gone to like the new like uh, opening night of like Solo and stuff, and yeah. Nice. So I I I, I would assume therefore that you're you're a fan of of uh, Miss Fisher, Carrie Fisher. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. So, Jackson, what about you? What do you think of Miss Carrie Fisher? I, I love Carrie Fisher, and she's fantastic in this. And Scream 3, I can't believe the horror podcast. Maybe it was brought up and I didn't hear it, but Scream 3, I can't believe that wasn't brought up yet. Yeah. Um, as a receptionist. <laughs> you, don't, you, don't, well, man, you don't, you don't approve of that scene in Scream 3? That's terrible. <laughs> as, 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 much of that might be the weakest screen movie. I think that's a fantastic scene. I don't know. Um, I, I like her in that. Um, <laughs> and anytime she could get work, you know, I'm happy with that. Yeah. And so we come to Rick Dukeman as art. Uh, um, really? Well, I think he's great in the role. 
I, I I do like him as an actor. I think he's great at improv, obviously. Rick Dukeman, sorry guys, not a nice person. Yeah, I heard that him and Tom Hanks had major conflicts on set. I I hate that because I love art so much. And then he's yeah. you know he's in Groundhog Day briefly too. He's loving yeah. Groundhog Day, but oh my gosh, yeah, I think he was. So so funny in this movie. He's he's a funny guy, but the problem is, like a lot of comedians, and I don't know how much experience you've had with this Wolfman, yeah. a lot of comedians are, you know, they can be incredibly funny, but be really dark in person. Yeah. And, and yeah, and stand up. And I think a lot of stand up comedians, yeah, their whole worldview is kind of based on what annoys me. And so they kind of, they tend to be in that mode a lot, you know? Yeah. And he, he, uh, I, I didn't talk to him on set. I saw him, you know, go do the thing with the trash and all that kind of stuff with Dick Miller and Robert Picardo. And I watched him. We never met. And then probably like a year, maybe a year and a half later, it's like midnight and I'm standing in line to get, uh, waffles at Jerry's deli in the Valley. And right this sounds like a VH1. I remember the nineties or eighties or whatever. <laughs> um, yeah. Standing right behind me is the lead singer of Warrant and his girlfriend, the model from the cherry pie video what? and Bobby Brown. They were right behind me and behind and them. Bobby. Yeah. And, and Rick Dukeman was behind them. And he was the first person I remember hearing utter the phrase, why am I waiting? Don't these people know who I am? Wow. wow. I, wanted to, I wanted to turn around and punch him in the face. I hate that attitude. I can't stand that. I agree. That's too bad. Yeah, he was now, but I'm not going to take anything away from you. You go ahead and talk about art because you and Wolf Buddy talk about art because he is great as art. I, I take Josh Olson, the screenwriter, you know, who's probably best known for writing uh, The History of Violence, which he was nominated for an Oscar for. And he's got a podcast, and, and you know, he says, you know, hate the jerk, love the work. <laughs> That's his line. It's like, how can you watch a Weinstein movie? How can you watch this? And he's like, eh, hate the jerk, love the work. And and so I do love Rick Dukeman in this as art. I love the character of art. So Wolfman, Wolf Buddy, jump in on art. Um, yeah, I really like him in uh, this role, and I think he's really funny with um, uh, Bruce Dern and Tom Hanks. And um, They're a great trio. Like, they, yeah. That is part of what works so well, is the three of them together are hilarious. They all have, they're all different, like, comedy, like, styles. styles. Yes. yes. Totally. Very agree. good. Oh, absolutely. Jackson, what about you? What do you think of art? I, I love art as a character. I think he's fantastic. And that, that's a real shame about the actor. I didn't know that. And I, if I were if I were in that line with the guy from Warrant uh, and, and Rick Dukeman, <laughs> I would have said, he's like, don't these people know who I am? And I would have said, yeah, prison guard from Spaceballs and Cindy's dad from Scary Movie. <laughs> it's like, okay, but um, uh. yeah, so that, that sucks. I, I, I hate it when that, that happens because like my favorite celebrities are people like, like Bruce Campbell or whatever, who are just like real down to earth. And, and well, no, it's, we've talked right? about this before. It was the weirdest thing is when I met like um, Wolfman, I don't know if you know this story. I was, I'm driving down Sunset Strip 
I, I pull in to my office. I work to the 9000 building and I pull in and uh, pulling in beside me is Clancy Brown. And he oh. gets out and he's huge. He's six, four, six, five, big guy. Yeah. And he pulls in right beside me and he jumps out and I had Ohio plates because I had just moved from Ohio. And he goes, where are you from Ohio? And I'm like, and I told him, he goes, I'm from Ohio. And we had this like 10 minute conversation and Clancy Brown, who 90% of his roles are playing creeps and thugs and villains, the nicest guy in the world. <laughs> Just like so sweet and so outgoing and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, you'll see that where guys who usually play good guys aren't good guys in real life. And guys who play bad guys in, on movies are actually really nice guys. Also, the cleanest comedians are the darkest personalities. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Yeah. Because you look at right now, I mean, like, you look at comedians like Gilbert Gottfried, who's like, you know, he's an introvert who just likes to hang out with his kids and his wife. Right. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's bizarre. But, yeah, there's there's that. But, you know, God rest his soul, Rick Dukeman. But we got to talk about Bruce Dern as Rumsfeld. I'm not sure if they they got that name from the— defense secretary who served both the Bush and Ford administrations or not. Nope. But I mean, think bad about Bruce Stern. I can't, my heart can't take it. No, 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 no. Bruce Stern. <laughs> great guy. Okay. Great guy. And who knew he could be funny before this movie? I don't remember him being funny. He's funny. And he's funny in the Hitchcock. Um, I'm blanking on the name, but you know, Hitchcock's all the family fun. plot. Yeah. He's funny in that. Yeah, but he's not like doing like physical comedy, like with a hose and stuff, right? I mean, or sure, falling off the roof. Watch and the that car kind of scene in that movie. It's it's very Looney Tunes, actually. Though. Okay, all right. I, I haven't seen it in a long time, but no, I found something out. Um, so I'm on the set and I'm talking to a PA, and they kept having to stop filming because the Universal tour was still going on. So mm. every time the tram would come. They'd have to stop filming for 20 minutes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I'm I'm standing there with one of the PAs, and I, I'm so ashamed I can't remember his name. I think his name was Tony. And I'm sitting there talking to him, and I'm like, so, Bruce Dern, that's got to be trippy, because I made the assumption, kids out there listening, this is what happens when you assume, I made the assumption that Bruce Dern, because he came to prominence in the 60s, made some Corman films, hung out with Jack Nicholson, hung out with Peter Fonda. I thought he was pretty wild. Turns out Bruce Dern is a health fanatic. Yeah. He doesn't drink. He doesn't smoke. He doesn't do drugs. And if he's got the time, he's going to run 20 miles in a day. And here's another weird factoid about him. He's really into high, like L.A. area high school football. So like mm -hmm. he like follows all the different local L.A. high school teams and like how they're doing and like who's playing and everything. He's really into like, oh, where'd you graduate from high school? What year? Oh, wow. Yeah. Like that. That team was great that year. <laughs> yeah. He's really smart. And, you know. So he came... like, that's kind of like a nerdy thing. You wouldn't expect a guy who was like no. a notorious, you know, Nicholson. Uh, 
<laughs> party, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, he tells the stories about, like, Nicholson trying to push drugs and stuff. And he's like, no, get that away from me. I don't want that. You know, I got to go run to San Diego tomorrow, you know? <laughs> and so he's – but I, I got to talk to him for just a, a few minutes. He was talking to a couple of the PAs, and I, 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 I got up the courage to introduce myself. And I said – you know, I said, sir, I said, I, you know, my dad and I don't get along. But one of the things we did was he would watch Westerns growing up. And I saw you in the Cowboys. Mm. That's the first thing I saw you in. And he rolled his eyes kind of with a smile. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. He goes, no, 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 no. He said, I'm proud I did that movie. He said, the problem is, he goes, I'll go into like a restaurant in like Jackson Hole, Wyoming after running a marathon. And people will point at me and goes, that guy killed the Duke. That guy killed John Wayne. And he said, I always tell him, no, Wild Turkey and Lucky Strikes killed John Wayne. We got along just fine. <laughs> no, he, a great story. Yeah, he was he was so friendly. He was so nice. He was nice to all, all the PA. You know how this is, Wolfman. All you need to know about an actor is ask the PAs. Yep. And all the PAs had nothing but positive things to say about Bruce Dern. They loved Tom Hanks. They loved Bruce Dern. They liked Carrie Fisher. They they had problems with with Rick Dukeman and sorry Corey Feldman, but yeah. they 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 liked everybody else. They liked Joe Dante, but no, Bruce Dern was just a gentleman. He was wonderful. So what do we think of him as Rumsfeld? And I know at this point that's almost a rhetorical question, but Wolfman and Wolf Buddy, what do you think? I I mean, I, again, I just think this is a stellar performance. I think this is, uh, you know, again, he's a, he's a very accomplished actor throughout much of his career. But for me, to see his comedic chops in this, I, they're incredible, you know? And I think not only is he great on his own, like when he's on the roof doing those pratfalls, which are just incredible and, and hilarious, but his interactions with Corey Haim are so funny. Uh, there's my, one of my favorite things, again, just like adults being children is uh, it's a close up on Bruce Dern and he's on the walkie talkie. And then the background, you can see Rick Dukeman and Tom Hanks vaulting over like, the red rover red rover let Bart go on over yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> not only does he say that line which is well written but then the the, the glee on bruce stern's face he's so happy about it. he's like oh that was great like he's just they're, they're kids like they're so happy about it like yeah. kind of doing mischievous things one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie is just the three of those guys watching the trash get beaten up in the in the rainstorm and the way the three of them play off each other is just perfect. But yeah. Love them in this uh, movie. I agree. Jackson, what about you? Uh, I, I love Bruce Stern in this movie. And I love that scene too. I love the, the, the trash when they're the guy takes out the trash and he's like, I've never done that before. I've never seen that before. You know, I love that that from Tom Hanks and 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 oh and, and Bruce Stern. Yeah, I'm I'm ashamed to say I haven't seen a lot of Bruce Stern's and I don't watch a lot of Westerns. Um I've seen The Hateful Eight and he was great in that. Oh man, yeah. that scene with him and Sam Jackson is just wow, that's that's something. 
um, and he was great in that. And I know he's he was also in um, uh, Once Upon a, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, right? So I guess he's yep. a Tarantino regular. But um, but yeah, I'm ashamed to say I haven't seen a lot of Bruce Dern, but he is fantastic in this movie. I love and yeah, I love the three of them. They they bounce off each other so well. Um, and uh, and yeah, the the physical comedy is fantastic. I love when he he runs after the the youngest of the basically the Sawyer clan. It's, it's right. It's the what what are the, the Klopex? Is that the name of the Klopex? The, yeah, the yeah, Klopex. Yeah. He runs after the youngest Klopex, and uh, he flips on the mud, and then he flips on the mud. It's just it's fantastic. What does and, he say? Put, does he call him Pinocchio? Is yeah, that what he calls him? yeah. Where do you think you're going? Yeah, yeah. Where do you think you're going? The um, if for people, I'm a huge Bill Paxton fan as well, and I don't know if people have seen this show, but Big Love on HBO, um, Bruce Stearns in like 30 episodes of that, and Bill Paxton's the star of that series. And if you love those two guys as much as I do, that a series you should definitely check out. But yeah, great. I've never seen Bruce Dern be bad in anything. I mean, whether yeah. it's, whether it's, I mean, he, he was amazing. in what was it called? Nebraska? Was that it? Where? Yeah. Yeah. He's incredible. Credit, in it. credit for yeah how, how fantastic he is for sure. Oh, After Dark, My Sweet with him and Jason Patrick and Rachel Ward is a great movie. Um, yeah, he, he's incredible. And yes, I am. I am proud to say, unlike the next person I'm bringing up, he had an impeccable reputation. People on set loved him, <laughs> just absolutely loved him, which brings me to Corey Feldman. Um, I did not have a high opinion of him as a person, as an actor in the 80s. Yes. As a person, I never really spoke to him, but I saw him at several functions I just didn't like him. I, I just didn't like the way he acted. He's good as Ricky, but not someone I wanted to hang out with. Knowing now what a rough childhood he had, I feel ashamed for judging him because the guy had a rough childhood, according to him. And so that will affect how you how you act. But yeah, he had um, you but also know, a kid during this time and like he had such a height of fame and at this era and he's a kid in Hollywood. Like I, even if he hadn't had to face the abuse and stuff that, you know, he he's talked about, I think even just having to deal with fame as a kid, that just seems so difficult to navigate, you know? And in like unis and stuff, he's like nine, 10, like, yeah, that's true. Yeah. He was yeah. He's, he's very young. You're yeah. You're right. Wolf buddy. I mean, you look back at like, even in Gremlins, I mean, he can't be that old. I mean, he's got to be very, very, very young. And yeah, even you're right, Wolfman, dealing with that is is rough enough. Then you put in the rough childhood, the abuse and so forth. Well, yeah, you're probably going to act out, especially when you get some independence. But at the time, it, it, I just I didn't know any of that. And I, I just thought he was being kind of a jerk. But, you yeah. know, and, you know, he got he almost. You know, this is the period he's hanging out with Michael Jackson. I didn't see this, but apparently, you know, he had bubble the chimps, the chimp, Michael Jackson's chimpanzee on set. And that lasted like a day because he was smearing like his poop on the wall and stuff and of yeah. his trailer. So he got he got banned from the set. But um, I, I know. But as Ricky, just as Ricky, not all the other stuff and personal stuff as Ricky. I think he's like the perfect like kid from 1988. Um, also, a very young Nick Cat cast as Nicky Cat with some serious 80s hair. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, wow. Yeah, he's uh, got very Dogtown surfer poofy hair thing going there. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, he's he's got some hair. But uh, again, I mean, because we're just going to gush over this. But I mean, yeah, you know, talk about Corey Feldman as as Ricky Wolfman and Wolf Buddy. Um, I th- I like I really like how he will have all his friends over or at the beginning like his girlfriend and they're just like, all right, like you know we don't we're not gonna go to a movie we're just gonna watch my neighborhood. Yeah, I love yeah. His, his face that things are gonna go off. In, yeah, in the like <laughs> at the end, all, he has all his friends over near the end. Um, and he's like, okay, the show should be starting soon or yeah. something. <laughs> Such a hilariously written character, but then also I love you know, I was telling my son here, like, you know, he's he's the voice of Michelangelo in the Ninja Turtles movies. And I love that that comes through in this character, you know, like, hold on everybody, the pizza dude's coming. Like I just <laughs> love the dude. I love his energy in this. And and <laughs> Wolf, the... Wolf Buddy turned to me during the movie, he's like, Where are his parents? She's <laughs> 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 just doing all this stuff like and um yeah, and I love how like he thinks it's so funny when um like uh uh Art and Ray get like attacked by bees. They're just like laughing the whole time and when he falls <laughs> off the roof and stuff. Uh well there was, you know, we'll get to this later, but there's a there was an alternative ending shot where Henry Gibson goes off on how the burbs drive people crazy. And it's almost like Ricky may be the most sane one in the burbs. <laughs> <laughs> he gets that this is nuts. Yeah. <laughs> and these people are crazy. And so that's just like, this is, you know, this is like early reality television. Instead um, yeah, <laughs> of hide everybody crazy. over and yeah. watch these tightly wound people lose it. And they're about to leave and he's like, no, this is the best part. Because something bad starts happening. He's got a definitely Canary, early Canary's vibe. I, I, yes. I, I love it. Dude. <laughs> like, yeah. You can't go now. This is the best part. Yeah, I love that stuff. Oh man, yeah, he's slopping paint everywhere and jamming his stereo out on the porch, all that kind of stuff. Oh man. All right, Jackson. I don't think we've ever talked about this. What do you think of Mr. Corey Feldman? I, I think he's. I think he's a great actor. Um, and yeah, during the '80s, he had a he had a heck of a run. Just like one hit a year, sometimes two. Um, and I think he did, he did a fantastic job. I love Ricky as a character. He's so funny. He's kind of a creep a little bit, but you know, he's a teenage boy. It's whatever. Um, I, I do, I do like he's him. I like his third. Yeah. Meals, so. <laughs> yeah I, I'm pretty sure today, if you made the comment, Hey, no tan lines that you'd get smacked, but, um, <laughs> and, and, and deservedly so probably, but yeah. But yeah, I love that. I love that opening scene with him just jamming out on the porch. And yeah, you're talking about soft. That hurt me so bad. He's got the speakers out there, and he just sets all the white paint down, and just splats everywhere. Like, oh my gosh, that's you know whatever. But I would do something stupid like that, so I can't really judge him. <laughs> and we got to talk about the Clopex. Uh, Henry Gibson, great character actor. Loved him in everything, even as an Illinois Nazi in the Blues Brothers. Brother yeah. Theodore who I remember from countless Letterman. Yes. I, 
I would tape Letterman when I was a teenager in the eighties and watch it like when I got home from school and he was always just, just barking at Letterman. It was fantastic. And according to Dante, he was nearly deaf when he recorded this. And then we get Courtney Gaines from children of the corn and can't buy me love, which Gilman Joel needs to embrace or lose his soul. Um, <laughs> so what, why do we think of the Clopex uh, Wolfman and Wolf buddy? What do we think? They're, they're good. They're a good team. Also, I mean, I think Courtney Gaines to me is the standout of the three. Like, really? I, I love. I mean, okay. Well, Brother Theodore's good, but he's just so weird. He's Brother Theodore in real life. Yeah, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I love that comment, Wolf Buddy. He's Brother Theodore. That's well said. <laughs> Henry Gibson. I was trying to explain this to Wolf Buddy today. Like, I th- that was. I think that's supposed to be a big laugh when he shows up because he was known as a comedic actor, you know. Right. And so to have him show up, like his big shadow. Yeah, and like he... a scary guy. No, it's uh, it's Henry Gibson. Like you know, and and so I, I but. I don't know. I think Courtney Gaines is so weird and good in this. He's, and I think it's his best performance that I've seen too. So I don't know. I like Courtney Gaines. There was a punk band called the Clopex in the early two thousands. And I just immediately knew, yeah, they came, we, my band opened for them. And then as soon as I saw they were coming to town, I was like, we have to play with the Clopex. It was awesome. And I made a Burbs (laughs) themed flyers, you know, for the show and stuff. That is awesome. That is absolutely awesome. You know, it it surprises me that Courtney Gaines hasn't gotten more work. Because if you look at him in Children of the Corn, and then you watch him in Can't Buy Me Love, and then you watch him in this, there's some range there. Yeah, definitely. Those are three very different characters, and he pulls all three of them off. Um, Yeah, it kind of shocks me. He He just didn't do more. But Jackson, what do you think about the Klopek trio? I, I love the Klopex as, as villains, and I, I, I'm going to agree with Wolfman here. I think Courtney Gaines is my favorite Klopex, and I love him as an actor. I mean, he's he obviously he's got, like, smaller parts and, and Can't Buy Me Love, and which I love, by the way, Can't Buy Me Love. That's a cheesy movie, but that's, you know. Trouble. Well, that's because you have a soul. Yeah, and I can I can appreciate a riding lawnmower ending. You know, that's you know, it's fantastic. <laughs> and and him as Malachi in Children of the Corn. I mean, he's yeah, definitely definitely got range. Um, and uh, so yeah, and I, I love his as a, as somebody with red hair and kind of skinny red hair, kind of odd looking fella. That's me. Um, it really it's representation. I feel like it's uh, well maybe not because he's a villain, but it's okay. It's whatever. Um, so I feel I feel that uh, that he does a good job in these movies and uh, yeah from from 84 to 89 great run of movies and i see he he had a small part in back to the future i don't remember him in that movie but uh, yeah he's one of the he's one of biff's buddies in the in the uh, i didn't know that either i i I missed that yeah the shop yeah um but yeah yeah it's funny i saw courtney Gaines at a um what are the screens called where they do like a, a testing a test screening Mm-hmm. And uh, I was in LA, and we went to a test screening just for fun. And Courtney Gaines was in the audience. I don't know if he wasn't in the movie, but I pointed him out to the guys I was with, and they're like, "Man, you recognize every? How did you spot him?" I'm like, "He's pretty recognizable. Like, he's not like a he's got a very distinct look about him. He does, like, yeah. He sticks out a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Is, well, one of that. you two filmmakers, Josh uh, Wolfman, you as a filmmaker, Jackson, you as an aspiring filmmaker, somebody needs to bring him back. Because I think he's still, he's still in town. He's still working. I think you know. I don't know. I, don't, I, haven't, I haven't looked at his filmography lately, but he hasn't. He's still going for it. 
I, the last thing I remember seeing him in was in Rob Zombie's Halloween. I mean, I haven't seen him in something mm-hmm. that I remember since then. But I think, he's, yeah, I think he's a talented guy, and I think he should get more, more breaks. But I love Brother Theodore. I mean, you've got to, if you're listening and you don't know, you know, you, you've probably seen the movie, but, you know, most of our listeners probably don't remember him being a constant guest on Letterman. YouTube it. Because yeah. he was hysterical on Letterman, basically playing the same part in the Burbs. I yeah. mean, also a technically a stand-up comedian, but it was more like performance art, you know. Yeah, he had like a one-man show for on like off Broadway for a long time and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, he was he's an interesting guy, but and it's also one of my favorite scenes in the movie where where he responds and Bruce Dern goes about a nine on the tension scale there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What is that, Slavic? No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Oh, man. So, of course, before we wrap up the cast, we have to talk about the fact that, as normal with a Joe Dante movie, we have Dick Miller and Robert uh, Picardo. I, of course, yeah. recognized Dick Miller when I was on set. Um, also, not a not a big guy, even though guy I didn't know this till later, had been a boxer in, like, the Army or Navy or something like that. Oh. Um, so a tough guy, but... He um, and man, he was not happy with Corey Feldman. I'm sorry, <laughs> he did not like working with him. Um, but well, I didn't recognize the real. He's been there forever. You know, he's like a real working actor. He can't. He doesn't. Probably doesn't abide that kind of. He he yeah he doesn't yeah he doesn't like you know playing around on set and that kind of stuff. I mean, the guy, go back to watch like Bucket of Blood from 1959, you know, when he's in a Corman movie. There's one Corman movie where he plays both a Native American and a cowboy and he shoots himself. <laughs> wow. So um, he's, you know, the guy, yeah, the guy was just a working character actor. But um, again, the PAs loved him and Picardo. I didn't recognize Picardo, even though I love the howling. And of course, he's Eddie Quist in the howling. But he looks very different here as one of the two garbage men. And one of the uh, uh, you know alternative endings they shot, but that Joe Dante says has, has been lost, is that when they open the Klopex trunk, it's the two garbage men in the trunk. That's great. Uh, That's really great. Uh, uh, Picardo's got a funny like little hippie... Um, thing going on in his wardrobe i noticed yeah. this time i hadn't really noticed before and and then yeah he's he's just playing devil's advocate along <laughs> against uh, <laughs> well the first yeah. amendment says the supreme yeah. court is ruled yeah <laughs> once the trash hits the curb it's public or whatever yeah. that's public right effect. that's right that's exactly right and as a former constitutional attorney that is actually correct they got that right <laughs> so <laughs> oh man i i love them both and i don't know um wolfman have you seen the documentary that guy dick miller about his life no i need to i love dick miller so i need to watch that okay that's what i was gonna ask i, I figured you were a fan yeah, big time. But I, I didn't. I have not seen the documentary. I mean, that's something I need to do. It's not. It's not a well-made documentary, but it's interesting because it's about Dick Miller. Yeah, I love him. I love him. So, Jackson, what do you think of Mr. Miller and Mr. Picardo as the garbage men? 
I, I love Dick Miller, of course. He's he's fantastic. He's so comforting. Like whenever I see him in a movie, I'm like, that's that's nice. It's Dick Miller. Um, so I like him a lot. And uh, and and Robert Picardo as well. But I, I remember Robert Picardo not only in Inner Space, also in Gremlins 2. So there's another Dante yeah. uh, thing. He's in Gremlins 2 as a villain. And, and, he's in, and back to I think he's in isn't he isn't also in Back to School? He, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't seen I it. I think he's the guy that's he's the guy that's always with Rodney Dangerfield's wife, Adrian Barbeau, that he dumps off. Hmm. Oh, yeah. I think, I think that's I think him, so. if I remember correctly. But yeah, he's in a lot. Of course, he was in Seinfeld and all. I mean, he's he's had Star a long Trek. story career, Star Trek, and but yeah, Dick Miller and, and Robert Picardo were kind of what Joe Dante called his his lucky charms. So yeah. Yeah. And they are. I mean, it worked, right? I mean, you put them in a movie. It's, maybe it'll be. It won't be a smash, a box office smash, but it'll be a cult hit at least. <laughs> right. Yeah, and according well, to Joe Dante, this made money, but not a lot. But it did make some money. But it has definitely become a cult hit. But Wolfman, go ahead. I'm sorry, I interrupt you. No, I was just. I I just also love just in kind of the Dick Miller fashion. Rance Howard showing up, you know, yeah. as uh, since you know his son was the producer and. Brian Grazier and Ron Howard produ as producers that they throw throw old Rance in there. It's fun to see him. He does a good job. I I love him as an actor, so it's fun to see him too. Yeah, it was it was fun being on set watching. Dick Miller struck me as a curmudgeon, uh, yeah. but a lovable curmudgeon. Yeah, uh, like he would bark at Corey Feldman for fooling around, you know, and he would just like bark at him like, "Hey, hey, kid, we're trying to act here," you know. Um, <laughs> He was that kind of guy. Like you could see, he was the kind of that. Oh, oh, he was he was the kind of guy you can see. Like, yeah, hey, kids, get off my lawn. You know, he was, that, and yet you'd love him anyway. And um, he was. It was just great to watch that scene. And there was a lot of. I wish I could remember all the different lines because I shot that when I watched that trash scene. I mean, they shot that several times, and there were several improvised lines by Dukeman and and Bruce Dern and and Tom Hanks. It was fun. I don't know how much improv background Bruce Dern had, but he jumped right into it. I mean, he was up for it. Well, and, they were, I think they were making up bits too. Like I remember the thing where the um, you know, they're in Walter's house, and Rick Dukeman shows up with. Someone's holding like a plate of cookies, right? And then yet, yeah, uh, Ray is looking through the fridge, and yeah. he's like, "I'm hungry." And then oh, Art's looking through the fridge. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, uh, anyway, apparently that was thought up by the cast. They're like, "Hey, we, let's do this little gag with the plate breaking and stuff," you know. So I think there was a lot of that stuff going on. But, yeah, uh, there there seemed to be, and there and there were a few winks and nods, you know, that you know uh, Joe Dante had, had learned from Roger Corman to like create you know for lack of a better term you know create kind of a universe where all these different movies exist in the same universe i don't know if you noticed the cereal that they're eating at breakfast is a gremlin cereal how have i never noticed that that's amazing yeah it's a gremlin cereal box out in, awesome. in the back yeah and so um yeah they yeah there was a lot of improvisation they shot that garbage scene i don't know how many times that i sat there and watched it sweating like a a pig in the California sun and, you know, in the middle of summer of 1988. But, um, of course we have to mention the score by the great Jerry Goldsmith because, yeah. you know, I know that, I don't know about you, Wolf buddy, but I know you Wolfman, you've been a musician 
I played in a punk band in the 90s. Yes. I played in a punk band in the 90s, even though I'm a metalhead, because that's all we could play. We could only <laughs> we could basically only do Ramones covers. Um, and I played bass. Jackson, you're in a band. But what do you think of the score by Mr. Goldsmith? I bought it on, uh, was it Waxwork or somebody just recently released it? Death Waltz, oh. one of those. And uh, so, like, I would have bought anything with the Burbs, but it is interesting. We were talking about it today. Do you remember what we were talking about with the score? Oh, yeah. The, um, at the beginning when the, the dog, Walter's dog is yeah. running, it's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Put the weird little dog, like, sample into the score. Yeah. <laughs> oh. And of course, that's Queenie who would show up as Precious in Silence of the Lambs, which is terrifying. Yeah, she's got that that thousand yard stare. Yeah, <laughs> no, but I, I think it's I think there's some really cool moments here because they are they're building up in kind of a Scooby Doo fashion the right. the creepiness of the neighborhood, and I, I think he does a great job actually, Goldsmith. I think it's uh, a little fanciful, like like some of those choices are a little over the top, but in a Dante movie, maybe not, you know, so. Yeah, well, yeah, given that Dante is such a huge fan of Looney Tunes, right? I think it makes a, a little more sense when they communicated. About, I know in the rough cut, they had a, a bunch of weird music in it that, you know, but but anyway. Um, but all right. The, um, well, just, I mean, this is more of a, a visual than auditory, but for me, it plays the uh, It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood cut that they do in the film is just mm. such a brilliant little piece of you know, of music there, even though it's obviously not Goldsmith, but I love that. Yeah, me too. Jackson, what about you? I, I think the score for this movie is fantastic. Um, and, and incorporates parts of Patton, right? Doesn't it incorporate like parts of the Patton score into when it? When Bruce Dern is on. Yeah. It's yeah. Kind of, yeah. So that that's fun, and and I loved Jerry Goldsmith. He did Total Recall and another Robert Picardo one, the Star Trek, um, the Borg movie, First Contact, um, and I see he did L.A. LA Confidential. So a lot of great soundtracks. Oh, um, how great from is Jerry L.A. Goldsmith. Confidential? Oh my gosh, yeah, I love that movie. Uh, one of my favorite movies from the '90s is L.A. Confidential. The fact that that was not a box office success really just. Uh, I agree with you. One of the best. I, it's one of the best movies of the decade for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that should have been the warning sign. We were going to get Trump one day was that was not a box office success. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, yeah, Jackson will probably edit that out. But anyway, so he doesn't get doesn't get lynched in Lynchburg. Um, so what else do we want to talk about with the burps? I'll throw it over first to you, Wolfman and Wolf Buddy. What else do we want to talk about? One thing I wanted to talk about, I just want to give, I mean, we went through the rest of the cast. I just want to shout out Wendy Shaw because that's a thankless role and, you know, being the buxom blonde and she's really good. Like it's not, you know, it's one of those roles where you don't necessarily think she's great because she's playing kind of a dodo, but she is doing a really good job with what she's tasked to do. But the other thing we wanted, we were talking about was the street. We've talked so much about the street, yeah. the Universal tour and the monsters and all these other things. What were you going to say about the house next door? Um, it's kind of, oh yeah. So at like, uh, in Utah, there was, wait. Oh, you were going to talk about your real house next door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Okay. No, I'm sorry. I thought you meant the, I thought you meant the Klopex house. Oh. No, go ahead. Talk uh, about it. Yeah. So. Uh, in Utah, our, there was this house next door that was kind of, there were big trees around it, and it was kind of, 
creepy, I guess. And it wasn't that well taken care of, kind of old looking. There was, and then there was this old man that lived there with his like son, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and we there was like there's a hill uh, behind our house, and then they also have like a hill and they like connect so i would like go up there with like my sister and like our friends and we would like be like playing in on the hill and we i remember one time went over like (laughs) to part of his hill and there were like animal cages like oh wow like there weren't any animals in them and they were like hopefully oh (laughs) oh that's creepy like (laughs) statues of like ladies and stuff it was just creepy that that is really creepy like a foresty like yeah and sometimes i would see flashlights on the our hill behind our house in the middle of the night like coming down the hill and i'd always what is that i'm back there and yeah (laughs) oh Wolf buddy, um, that is majorly creepy that is oh no thank you um yeah, the best I got is, you know, when I grew up in, in my neighborhood, there was up the hill, um, there were a couple of, of tombstones that were, this wasn't a cemetery, they were just tombstones like in the middle of nowhere. And then on on top of that, there was supposedly a convent that had been converted into a house where the Catholic Church claimed an exorcism had taken place. Whoa. Well, you had, yeah, you had a little exorcist um Experience. Oh yeah, with my dad. Yeah, yeah. I'll talk about that. Some, but yeah, that was that was bizarre. But uh, yeah, that's Wolf Buddy. That's that's creepy. <laughs> I I I give. I gotta tell you, man. That outdoes my. I I walked by. You know that that house where the convent had been looked a lot more, a lot better than a place with a bunch of cages and statues. That's that's pretty <laughs> freaky, man. Um. Jackson, there's the setting for your next horror movie, buddy. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. I don't. I, I'm. I don't think I want to get a release form from those people. I think <laughs> I, I'm good just maybe recreating that on the soundstage. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no joke. So, all right. What else do we want to talk about before we go to our ratings and recommendations? So, Wolfman, Wolf Buddy, what do you got to say? Did you have anything else you wanted to say? Um. So. I think this is kind of like, it's like this like nice like um. Oh, because we talked about yeah we talked we I talked to him about a deal of horror a lot as an as a concept the Jordan Peele concept of a deal of horror where a very pleasant beautiful situation is interrupted by. Yeah, um, and I think this is kind of ideal of horror a little bit. It's like this nice <laughs> neighborhood, like everybody knows each other, like seems like a pretty good like. Yeah, I don't know. And then they move in and kind of ruin. Yeah, and like, I do I do like that element of that we've been kind of dancing around this idea of the, of the creepy house in the neighborhood because this is kind of what you want to do. You like, want to go explore and see what's really going on behind closed doors. And I love that scene where it might even be, is it real? I can't remember if it's real or if it's the dream sequence where he looks out the window and you see them digging in the backyard in the no, rain. No, that's real. Yeah, that's such a terrifying scene. And even yeah, I remember yeah. when I was younger seeing that and thinking, like, this. it seemed like something that would really happen to me. Like, look out and see your neighbors digging in the backyard in a rainstorm. Oh. oh, yeah. No, 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 absolutely. And we've had, my wife and I had a neighbor at one time where we used to joke 
It was like my wife would joke that kind of hangman humor that if I disappear, check that guy's basement. Um, <laughs> because it's just, it's that, you know, they just, you know, you can't help it. They, somebody acts strange as it's a, it's human nature. It's whether it's evolutionary or whatever, you're just like, you go on self-defense, right? Well, there's that great, you know, Jay of the Dead, I believe, coined this term, but it's something that I love talking about in films is the satellite story here about the guy who works down at the ice cream shop. Yes. You know? And uh, and that's such a great story that kind of doesn't necessarily... Uh, skip. Skip, yeah. Skip, yes. It doesn't really matter to the plot, but it, it, it informs the world so well. You know, like, do you sometimes the people in the burbs with their perfect manicured lawns, they just snap, and then... Who knows? You know, I, I like that. I love that concept, and that's what I like most about this movie. And he was so. saying that about Walter, too. Like, yeah, he was like, he could just be there one day, and then all of a sudden he's gone, and nobody knows what happens to him. Yeah. And so, yeah, that, I think that plays into that idea you're talking about. This idea of horror is, you know, the the David Lynch David Lynch idea of kind of the the dirtiness yeah. under the rocks if we turn them over, basically. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah, I got to, you know, I got to meet David Lynch a couple times and have lunch with him once. And, and, uh, by, by the way, I don't know. I don't know. Wolfman, are you a fan of the Twin Peaks TV series? Major. Okay. Um, Dale Cooper. Yeah. Is, is David Lynch. Really? <laughs> David Lynch is Dale Cooper. <laughs> they are most like, they are like carbon copies. He based that character solely on himself talks the same and kyle mclaughlin who later became a friend of my brother's because they were neighbors yeah. um my brother lived in this when he was the head of disney music lived in the same neighborhood with kyle mclaughlin and corbin bernson of all people <laughs> and they would work on each other's houses and stuff and and my brother was over at kyle mclaughlin's house one day for lunch or something and david lynch called and said hey can i come over and shoot some pictures and kyle's like well yeah sure whatever david he comes over with a bag full of of old Cupid dolls, which he then proceeds to bring out ropes and tie them like they're hung like a lynch mob, hang all these Cupid dolls from his staircase and take black and white photos and then say, take them down and go, thanks, Kyle. And then he's left. Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> so he's, he's a bit of an oddball, but yeah, he's, he acts. And talks just like Dale Cooper from Twin Peaks. That's amazing. Yeah. Although I can't see Dale Cooper showing up with the Cupid dolls, but. <laughs> no, but just like Dale, Kyle McLaughlin based like his whole cadence and everything on David Lynch. Love that. Yeah, that's how he talks. But yeah, it's, <clears throat> yeah, this this whole idea, you're, you're right. I mean, this whole idea. And, and I think, you know, Joe Dante said this. And I think he's right to circle back. If not every neighborhood, every town has this, right? They have some story. They have that house. And that's one of the things that attracted, you know, him to it. So, and Jackson, I know <laughs> we can talk about, we won't go into depth, but uh, we had a house in our neighborhood growing up, where you were growing up, that had a uh, someone who was a dealing in illegal substances and, uh, had a pit bull like to charge people and 
Yeah. So yeah. Every neighborhood has that, right? Yeah. I, and and uh, our little I mean, he's he's got some Rottweiler in him, but he's not. He's like half the size of a Rottweiler. He's he's quite he's a yeah. little guy. But your, our, your, your dog, Duke, who is our little mutt. Yeah, yeah. Our little mutt fought off a gigantic raging pit bull that escaped from this. this uh, Charged you and your mom and your dog jumped on the pit bull's yep. top and ripped his ear and off. And he won. Yeah. And he won. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, that was that was great, and that dog's still alive. Duke's still alive, so that was you know he's he's crazy, but um, but yeah, so there's always that house. I mean, there were several in that neighborhood. There were several creepy houses. I mean, it seems as a kid, everything's creepier, and I love that. And this is something I want to talk about before the episode's over. Like, yep. one of the reasons I love Fright Night and this so much is that like you know just like suspicious of what your neighbor's doing and um i love that that plot of and some people find this frustrating but trying to convince people and you show them and then it's not there anymore it's been changed and you're like i'm not crazy i like that plot i don't know why it's always satisfying to to me to see how they cover or explain it away um and that that's that's in this movie um and uh, and Fright Night, and I, I I would liken this like to a combination of Fright Night and Texas Chainsaw. That's like what this is a a combination of, and I love that idea. It's just just fantastic. So I, I you know it, it's, well, and and it, it's and I think now with the popularity of true crime, that's hitting home. I mean, yeah. Look, I mean, I I stayed away from true crime for a long long period because I'd done a death penalty case as a defense attorney with two of my professors from the Cornell Death Penalty Project. And I had to search for a body. I had to, do, you know, all that kind of stuff. And after that, I was like, yeah, you know what? I, I gave it work. I can't, I can't do this. Yeah. Um, and so I spent a long time away from that genre. But one of the things you learn as a criminal attorney, and I did criminal law for a while, there are always warning, when, in retrospect, there are always warning signs that people ignore. Mm. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's every look, you know, people there have been all kinds of people who warned about Charlie Manson and Richard Ramirez and all the other kind of stuff. And, you know, and and nobody paid any attention. And it's so it's scary. And and so I think it hits a nerve. And even though here it's played comedically, you know, I, I I think it hits kind of a universal kind of notion that. Yeah, if we don't, you know, first of all, we never really know every anybody, but then we certainly definitely don't know everything about the people that are right next door to us. <laughs> exactly. So, all right. Jackson, anything else you want to bring up? Uh, no, I think I, I've, I've covered all my notes. This has just been, this is like one of my favorite episodes. This is just so much fun. Uh, talking about the burbs. I'm I'm having a blast. I'll think of something in an hour. I'll be like, ah, dang it. But, <laughs> but for right now, I'm good. All right. So what what would you on a scale one to ten on on an HMP scale, uh, Wolfman? What would you and Wolf Buddy rate this? Though I'm pretty sure I know. <laughs> I mean, it's a ten out of ten. No questions asked. Is one of the best comedies of its era. And then. The fact that you can throw some little mystery horror elements into that and uh, little Looney Tunes on the side. <laughs> yeah. Can't get better. Yeah. Do you, do you agree with your dad, Wolf Buddy, or, or do you have a you have a different opinion? 
No, I agree. Yeah, ten out of ten. Nice. Eleven there out of ten. There you go. Eleven out of ten. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Jackson, what about you? You're usually the uh, the harsher rater of the, the between the two of us when it comes to reviews and giving a rating. You're typically lower than I, so I'm waiting to hear this. I am I am a Debbie Downer, and it's funny because I'm weird. I'm not always just like one below you or whatever. Uh, I, I watched a, a movie recently, which wasn't very good. It was a Jeff Goldblum movie, uh, and uh, it was it was pretty bad, actually. But I still gave it a 6 out of 10 because it was Jeff Goldblum. But uh, I'm pretty weird when it comes to my ratings, but I'm, I'm still very positive on this one. I'm going to give it an 8.5 out of 10, uh, second time watching it. I, I really enjoyed myself. It was a really easy watch. Um, I might not have the nostalgic connection to it, um, because I, again, I only watched this movie the first time like two years ago, but, uh, I still, I think it's a fantastic movie, a really great comedy. And just another example that Joe Dante is just like a fantastic director. And a great, uh, it seems a great guy. He is a great guy and has just a universally respected reputation in Hollywood when I was there as a really good guy. In fact, I heard him tell this funny story when he was on set, he would come on in like blue jeans and a wrinkled shirt and his hair was all over the place. And Carrie Fisher insisted on taking him shopping and getting him a haircut. Um, she said he was just a mess. Um, but just a nice, nice guy. I actually met Joe Dante twice. Well, I never spoke to Joe Dante. I saw him work on the set. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to kick myself for this. Um, uh, I, don't, I don't know how old you are, Wolfman. But do you remember when, like, laser discs were, like, cutting edge? Yeah, the, totally. Like I, I didn't, I could never afford. I have some laser discs now that I've picked up, like uh, it's just as collectors' items. But yeah. I, could, I could never afford a laser disc when I was, you know, my 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 rich friend's dad had a bunch of laser discs. When I, that's that's my experience with them. Yeah, I couldn't. I could never afford a laser disc player when I was working in 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 Hollywood. When I was working as a music publisher, I was making decent money, but like a laser disc was like a luxury item in like eighty eight, eighty nine, ninety. And I couldn't afford one, but there was a Laserdisc place in Century City. I think it was called Dave's. I think something like that. And a real simple name. And I would stop but when I had time to kill, like if I was waiting for a meeting or something like that, I would stop in Dave's and I would look through the Laserdisc because th this people, I know this is going to date me. They were the only ones that had special features, right? I mean, you didn't get yeah. special features on VHS back in the 80s, you know. No. Well, so occasionally they would have some special features at the end of the VHS. But, yeah, this Blu-ray, I mean, uh, Laserdisc definitely pioneered, like, what we know as special features for sure. Right. And so I was – I had been on the set of The Burbs, and then, like, a year and a half later, I'm in – I think it was called Dave's Laserdisc, something like that. And I was literally holding a copy of The Howling. I look up and Joe Dante was across the store oh. looking through Laserdisc. And I kicked myself that I didn't. He looked at me and he saw what I was holding and he kind of smiled. And I kind of smiled back at him. And then we just both went back to browsing. I just kicked myself. I didn't walk up and talk to him. Oh, get that I sign. Know. Walk up I, and get that sign. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. But anyway. I, this has gone way up for me. If you had asked me in 1989 when I walked out of the theater, I'd been like, eh, six, seven out of ten. It was fun, but it wasn't great. But it is comfort food for me now at this point. I've seen it probably six times. I own the Shout Factory Blu-ray, which I highly recommend. Um, I think it's out of print right now, but you, you, if you can track it down, you so should. Such it's, good. Yeah, it's so good. I would give this a nine out of ten. I call it a buy. 
Yeah, you're, you're correct. <laughs> yeah, I, I love it. So, all right. So, Wolfman and uh, Wolf Buddy, you know, where can people find you? I know Wolfman, you're you're the one that's online more. So, where where can they find you online? Yeah, I'm doing a horror movie podcast. Yep. You can find it at horrormoviepodcast.com. And uh, you can find my social media. It's, uh, I'm on Instagram at Alkaiviti, which is my new production company, which is almost the worst idea I could have ever had because it's <laughs> no. difficult to spell in another language. So I don't, like, I don't know if people are going to be able to find it, but, you know, we'll, we'll put links places so, so people can. But, yeah, and then um, I have not switched over my Twitter as of yet. It's at Icarus Arts, but that will also be Alkaviti eventually as well. And then, actually, me and Wolf Buddy are doing a skateboarding for kids YouTube channel right now. We're we're filming oh, it. Cool. That should hopefully hit the internet pretty soon. But I'll let people know over at Horror Movie Podcast when that goes up. And I loved the episode you did with Dave on Halloween Kills, and I Thank completely you. concur. Uh, my wife surprised me with a private theater reservation for Halloween kills uh, with some of our listeners and buddies. So yeah, that was, yeah, I think that we, movie is we had so just started listening to your, um, well, I guess it was your 2018 review you did with Joel, right? But yep. Yeah, we did. Uh, yeah, we did with Joel and, uh, Raul. We did Raul. Yeah, 2018 and Halloween kills. Yeah. So, but yeah, of course. And of course I have to say to you, um, as as one of the godfathers of horror movie podcasting, like, you know, when I, I went through my divorce with Jackson's mom back in 2014, Jackson yeah. quickly reached out to me and said, Dad, do you know of any horror movie podcasts? I wasn't listening to any podcast. I was listening to audiobooks, but not podcasts. And so I looked up and the first thing I found was horror movie podcast. And so I messaged Jackson. I said, I just listened to this thing called H&P Horror Movie Podcast. It's pretty good. And we started like messaging each other week to week, listening to those episodes. And so it's, yeah, it's, it's got a special place in our hearts um, because it kept us in contact. And we talked about it a lot. I mean, I'm not overstating that, am I, Jackson? No, no, absolutely not. I mean, I remember how much the the winter you get this a lot, I'm sure, but the winter and Stephen with Stephen King episodes. I remember hearing those for the first time and just being like, I, you know, I think maybe horror podcasting is for me because <laughs> it was just so fun and I love the atmosphere and and yeah, absolutely, H and P was was a big one for me. Um, and and I'm like all the people that H and P has inspired to make horror movie podcasts is just or podcasts of any kind really is just it's awesome. Yeah, it is crazy how many people, and I don't know if it was be, has anything to do with us or it's just that the people who are interested in our podcast happen to also want to be podcasters, but I'm, it's shocking to me how many of our listeners are now podcasters and uh, and doing not not just, but they're doing a great job podcasting. And it's, yep. it's, it's uh, you too are definitely uh, amongst the very top of that list. You're doing great, great work. And I, I, I love your show. I I was I was telling Joel this recently. I don't listen to the sh the other horror podcasts as much as I should because I don't want to be influenced on my opinion. Like I don't want to right. give anyone else's review accidentally. But when I do listen to a show, uh, yours is definitely on the top of my list of horror podcasts I like to listen to. So you do a great job, and I really appreciate the kind words. Um, HMP means a lot to me. It's been hard to to uh, keep it going in the last year and a half with sure. just the way the world has been but 
Well, the way the world has been, and you're a busy guy, not too many people like take off to Alaska to shoot stuff. I mean, and then have to keep a a movie podcast going. That's a lot of work and and move and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you've had a lot on your plate, but it does mean a lot to a lot of people. And it, it is because of you guys. I mean, you know, when Jay left, that was, you know, that was hard, but Joel did a great job. But you and Dave just have such a great connection. You and Dave just... You just seem to riff off each other so well. Me and Dave are, are both committed to keeping the podcast alive, and so we're gonna we're gonna be going hard. And anytime we can get Joel or Jay to participate, we would take that as a as a blessing. But um, yeah. but yeah, definitely, Dave and I have have had the conversation, and we're not gonna we're not gonna let HMP die. So we're oh, keep... that's good. And and Jackson and I got to sit down with Dave for a whole day and and whole night because we went to oh, that's right. uh, Dave went uh, with us to the last drive-in with Joe, Bob, and Darcy. Right, Jackson. So that was cool. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was well. That was like I was just as excited to meet Doctor Shock as it was Joe Bob Briggs. <laughs> that was because, like I said, I've been I've been listening to H and P for so long. So yeah, and uh, so you guys are great. I, I love I love your stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So and and Wolf Buddy, thank you so much for being on. You are great, man. I mean, thank you. I, I'm telling you, man. I get I get so many. Th- th- Probably like 50% of the messages I get from our podcast is, I can't believe how mature Jackson is at 16, 17, 18, how much he knows. But, dude, you are, you you know your stuff, man. You're, you're great. Keep it up. Thank you. Yeah. 11 years old. He's doing good so far. So we're going to, we're trying to. <laughs> he's doing awesome so all right folks well you can find more of us on father and and at twitter at father and son horror and we have a closed facebook group jackson where can they find you buddy uh you can find me on twitter at kane underscore hero 12 uh, you can find my letterbox and my youtube from there not doing as much youtube stuff recently on my personal thing because i've been working a lot on patreon reviews and stuff and by the way we're going to be recording uh during this month another a bonus pod uh based on another family themed horror movie uh so that's going to be a lot of fun you can go ahead and let that that out because they voted on it so it's public yes that's right it was between texas chainsaw remake and blood rage and uh our lovely listeners what what blood rage so thank you for that (laughs) i was i've now it's it's i I haven't seen Blood Rage in a while, but from what I remember, it was, wow, it was something. So it is I'm, something. Look, I'm looking forward to that. Well, I'm on Twitter and Letterboxd at Pastor Matt. Our thanks to our supporters over at Patreon. All proceeds go to help Jackson through film school. You can join for as little as $2.50 a month. All right. Say goodbye to the good people, Jackson. Goodbye. And remember, if Tom Hanks thinks something's up, follow his lead. I've learned to always trust the good judgment of a Hanks man, unless his name is Chet. oh thanks for listening and remember that the family that watches horror together slays together see you next time once again i want to thank the great people over on patreon dave becker greg bench ryan bratton dan george ian urza kevin corpy james mcfeeders ashley pinkard greg amortis and pearl from lotc raul rivera joe robertson greg russell brian scott stefan sitter amy swan and trey whetstone thank you all so much you make this podcast possible. Lifeless eyes, black eyes, like a doll's eye. 
I want to kill everyone. Satan is good. Satan is our pal. Ray, Ray, you're chanting.